Hey listeners, do you enjoy the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast? How about nominating this for the best local podcast in Dayton, Ohio? Visit Dayton.com slash Best of Dayton, click on the nominate button, choose the entertainment category, scroll down to Best Local Podcast, then type The Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, and finish with a click on the nominate. It's free and just requires your email address. Every nomination helps. The nomination process runs from November 11th until December 15th, 2019. If there's enough nominations, this podcast will run on another poll starting in January 2020. Let people know that you enjoy the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, made proudly in Dayton, Ohio, proudly covering local Cincinnati and Dayton sports. The Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. Welcome to episode 124 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. As Tony Peters and Seth Keim of Southwest Ohio Full Court Press will be on the podcast to talk about the upcoming 2019-2020 high school basketball season. But first, a recap of week 12 in the football playoffs and your local college and NFL scores. Plus, later on the podcast, we dive back into Mowen's Mailbag. Welcome to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. This is a weekly podcast dedicated to sports happening in the Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio region. Visit theleewmowen.com slash podcast to listen on your favorite platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and more. Follow the host on Twitter at the Lee W. Mowen and the podcast at Sunday Pod. Opening theme is Arpy by Dan Hennig from the YouTube Music Library Collection. Now for your host, Lee W. Mowen. That's right, listeners, our first interview since episode 80 with Tony Peters. It's funny how things come full circle. The last interview I did was with Tony Peters, and tonight I'm recording with Tony Peters and Seth Kine, again of Southwest Ohio Four Court Press. It's a great podcast. I recommend you checking them out if high school basketball is your thing. And also, Tony Peters writes on... Prep Hoops Ohio and recently shared a free preview of close to 700 plus teams. That's a lot of basketball. And you can follow him on Twitter at Peters4523. You can follow Seth Kaim on Twitter at SKEIM09 and the podcast SWOFCP. And then follow me on Twitter at the Lee W. Mallon and at Sunday Pod. That's up later tonight. You can listen to this interview. I'll put on the post what time it starts. If you're not interested in hearing about football scores, which that's how we start off episode 124. And Mowen's mailbag, that'll be later tonight because there are three 
questions I feel could run pretty long. So, again, I'll have a timestamp for you, and you can go back and listen to it. But first, football playoffs. The field keeps getting slimmer as the days keep growing colder. As we're heading closer and closer to determining who's winning a state title in the sport. We'll start off with Division 1, Region 2. A convincing win for number 1 Springfield and the Wildcats. They take down Dublin Jerome 37-14. And with the Wildcats win, they'll play in Week 13. They'll be at London High School. Not London, England. <laughs> Against number 3, Dublin Kaufman. Jerome was number 4. It's a pretty big matchup there. It's fairly close to halfway, although I think Dublin Kaufman is closer to London than Springfield, but still, could be a lot worse. So, that will be Week 13. Onwards to Division 1, Region 4, as Elder upsets St. Xavier 28-24, back and forth game. I was broadcasting the St. X Bombers versus the Springboro Panthers game when that football game was happening. And at one point it was 24-21 Bombers. And then Elder scored to take the lead for good. So Elder will get number three Colrain, who handed Fairfield another loss. Cardinals 28, Fairfield Indians 24. And that is a pair of upsets because Colrain was number three, Fairfield number two. And St. X number one, Elder number four. So what will the Cardinals... And the Panthers do on week 13. Well, they'll face each other at Mason. Onwards to Division 2, Region 8. Number 1, LaSalle, 35. Number 5, Walnut Ridge, 7. And Harrison, 42. St. Francis de Sales, 7. That's the same St. Francis de Sales that ended a undefeated season by the Turpin Spartans. Quite surprisingly, too, at Turpin as well. But that will set up LaSalle and Harrison, a great bow of Cincinnati. And this is taking place at Lakota West. To Division 3, Region 11, Jonathan Alder, 38, and Jackson, 13. The battle of two versus three. I think last week I mentioned that Jackson is the team that played a lot in the playoffs against Valley View. I'm wrong. That's Ironton. Although Jackson's called the Iron Men, so that's why I got confused on that. And then again, I probably added that out, so there you go. So what's up next for Jonathan Alder? Number one, Bishop Hartley. This is a very good Bishop Hartley team. They're number one in 311. And this will take place at Hilliard Derby. Bishop Hartley is around Columbus. Not sure which part. Jonathan Alder, not too far away in Plain City. Yes, I know. It's called Plain City. That's a great name for a town. But there you go. Division 3, Region 12. It's the end of the alternate season as Baden and the Rams take down the Knights 38-21. And Trotwood Madison rolls across St. Mary's 41-7. That's a battle of the Rams as Baden takes on Trotwood at Miamisburg. The battle of 4 versus 7. Baden's 4 and Trotwood is 7. It's the second battle of the Rams in the playoffs for Baden too. The first one was Baden-Ross and Baden... No contest for the private school in the Greater Catholic League. Division 4, Region 14. Ottawa-Glandorf 21, Wasion 14. That sets up number 6, Ottawa-Glandorf, against number 8, Clyde at Finley. Division 4, Region 16. 
A big win here as Valley View takes down Roger Bacon in the Battle of Spartans, 28-27. What makes it a good win? Well, Roger Bacon's the seven, uh, sixth squad and Valley View the seventh team. There were a lot of pictures that Saturday night flew across social media catching what would have been the go-ahead touchdown for Roger Bacon. With one foot in, it looked like that was a good touchdown, but I'm pretty sure in high school in Ohio, it's two feet in. So one foot in, then you step out of bounds, that doesn't count. I don't know on that. If I'm wrong, go ahead and shout at me, but tough win for Valley View. They did a nice job containing Kiner, at least in the first half of what I saw. And Valley View moves on to take on Wyoming. I mentioned Valley View, Clinton, Massey, pretty common opponents in the playoffs for football, especially when Valley View's in Division Four. Valley View, Wyoming, about the same. Uh, although I think there's more matchups with Clinton, Massey overall in history. But yeah, this Wyoming team, they keep rolling on. Cowboys 27, Indian Hill and the Braves 7. It was 7 7 at the half. Wyoming scored a last second TD to put points on the board. And then the second half was all Wyoming. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing that matchup. If you are too, Wyoming versus number seven Valley View, that'll be at Princeton. Division five, region 20. I hope you like a rematch because that's what's happening. West Jefferson will take on West Liberty Salem and this will be at Sydney. Your scores, the Tigers declawed the Taft Senators 14-13. What would have been the winning field goal went wide for Taft, and that ends a very nice season for number one Taft. Tigers move on. They'll face against West Jefferson for the second time this year as the Rough Riders defeat number three Springfield Shawnee 62-28. to Again, West Jefferson and West Liberty Salem will be at Sydney. Long trek for West Jefferson. Again, they're closer to Columbus, but should be a fun matchup. How about Division 6, Region 23? Anna 54, Fairview 20. And the Anna Rockets, the number 5 seed, will take on number 3, Archbold, who beat number 2, Liberty Center, 31-30. Both a pair of close wins for Archbold. They'll take on the Rockets at Lima Spartan Stadium. Division 6, Region 24. The Buccaneers keep on rolling as Covington upsets number 1, Chillicothe Southeastern, 36-20. And Mechanicsburg defeats Grandview Heights 48-7. That sets up number 6 Mechanicsburg and the Indians and number 4 Covington and the Buccaneers at Piqua's Alexander Stadium. Now for Division 7, Region 28. Another big win for number 8 New Bremen. Last week they took down undefeated number 1 New Miami. And this week they take on Lima Perry by a 42-14 Cardinals advantage. That's eight upsetting five. And number two, Marion Locals scrapes by number three, Fort Loramine and OT. 24-21 Flyers win. That sets up New Bremen versus Marion Local at Wapakoneta's Harmon Stadium. And that's it. That's your local team still battling on. Again, your week 13 matchup for local schools. Springfield at London against Dublin Kaufman, Colrain Elder at Mason, LaSalle Harrison, Lakota West. At Hilliard Derby is Jonathan Alder versus Bishop Hartley. Baden versus Trotwood at Miamisburg. Ottawa Glandorf versus Clyde at Finley. Wyoming Valley View at Princeton. West Jefferson, West Liberty Salem at Sydney. Archbold Anna at Lima Spartan Stadium. 
at Piqua, Mechanicsburg, Covington, and at Wapakoneta, New Bremen, Marion Local. And of course, week 13 scores will be given to you for episode 125. And we move on to other scores because it's been a pretty big week in local Cincinnati and Dayton sports. It's just too bad we don't have a local sports show that wants to talk about that. Cincinnati, they were 17 a couple weeks. I think they got bumped up to 15, 16. I'm not sure. There's too many polls. Anyway, the Bearcats, they bowed all night long at UCF. And the Bulls looking for the upset win. However, Cincinnati wins it on a last-second field goal. Bearcats 20 and South Florida, or UCF, 17. That did knock the Bearcats down a couple pegs on that win. Just because, you know, yo, the Bulls aren't ranked. I guess. I, I, I don't know how they do the polls. Miami 44, Bowling Green 3. I listened to this game last week. And with that win in Akron's loss, that gives Miami the Mac East title at 5-1. and one, With still two games to go, tonight Miami will battle Akron at home. That's the last home match of the year for the Red Hawks gridiron squad. And then they have a Friday at noon game next week at Ball State. I don't know why it's Friday at noon. Don't ask me silly things like that. I mentioned Miami, the Mac East winners at 5-1. and one. Well, they will play December 7th at Detroit's Ford Field, you know, the home of the Lions, against the West winner of the Mac, which is could be either Central or Western Michigan. Both of those squads are 5-2. and two. Again, Miami-Akron's tonight, but a good win by Miami against Bowling Green. Got to listen to that game last week. Mount St. Joseph wrap up the season. The Lions finish 7-3 with a close 11-9 loss at Maritime. Dayton defeats Drake 46-29. One more game at home for the Flyers. They'll take on the Butler Bulldogs. Wittenberg claims their fourth straight NCAC title. They have to share it. But it's the fourth straight for the Tigers and 15th under head coach Joe Fincham as Wittenberg defeats Ohio Wesleyan 38-20. This is the 16th overall NCAC title for Wittenberg football, and the Tigers finish the year 7-3. Wilmington 28, Otterbein 27 on the road, and the Quakers finish the year with two straight wins and a 3-7 record. Urbana ends the season at 7-4, losing their last two games. They fall to number 5 Truman State at home, 24-14. But don't fear Blue Knight fans. I was about to say Blue Jackets. Blue Knights fans. As Urbana's 7-4 mark is the first winning slate in six seasons. Congrats go out to Urbana football. Kentucky State 34, Central State 28. The Marauders end the season at 3-7. and seven. And Thomas Moore ends the year 4-7, and seven, their first year in NAIA in the Mid-South Conference. Saints 34, Pikeville 21. And now for NFL scores. Yes, we have to talk about the Bengals... 10th loss on the year. Trust me, I don't want to talk about it either. Raiders 17, Bengals 10, stats coming up. Thursday night affair, Cleveland Browns 21, Steelers 7. On a game that, yes, Rudolph did get hit with his own helmet. And Miles Garrett got a season-ending suspension, thanks to the bashing of the helmet. Mason Rudolph, I was 
wanted to call him Miles for some reason. I don't know. He just came out today to apologize for his act and says that he's cool with Garrett. So, that's, that's kind of nice, although the violence is uncalled for type of thing. I mean, Rudolph is not innocent in that at all. I'm not saying that, but, you know, there you go. And Colts 33, Jaguars 13. Colts now 6-4 and four in the year. And we might as well get the stats out of the way for the Bengals game. Oh, and 10. So against the Raiders, the Bengals had a 7-0 lead until Oakland scored two touchdowns in the second quarter. A field goal in the third for Cincinnati. That was all the points the Tigers would score. And the Raiders got one field goal in the fourth to ice it 17-10. At Oakland Alameda County Coliseum. The last year the Raiders will be at Oakland, at least I think. 60th year of existence for the franchise, too. I still don't like the move to Las Vegas, but, you know, I don't think the ownership of the Raiders is going to listen to some guy from Dayton, Ohio, saying I don't like it. It's like, oh, yeah, that guy's right. We'll keep it in Oakland. So in that game, the Raiders outganged the Bengals in total net yards, 386 to 246. Seven penalties whistled against the Raiders on the Bengals' four. Close on the penalty yards, 42-40, to 40, Raiders with two more penalty yards. Time of possession, 35 minutes, 22 seconds for Oakland, 24-38 for Cincinnati. This is where the parts of the stats don't look so hot. Ryan Finley, 13-31, of 31, 115 yards and one interception. Not a good day for the quarterback. And again, I'll go back to my original point. Was Andy Dalton really the cause of the Bengals losing? No, he wasn't. Derek Carr on the other side. Nearly perfect day. 25 of 29, 292 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Rushing-wise, the Bengals, well, Mixon does not get 100 yards. He gets close, though. 15 carries, 86 yards, and a touchdown. A rushing touchdown. On the other side, Josh Jacobs, 112 yards, 23 carries. Also, Derek Carr had a rushing touchdown, a quarterback keep, one yard, five keeps for the quarterback. Finley rushes for 47 yards on the day on three keeps as well. That's pretty impressive for a quarterback, you know. That's not, you know, your Russell Wilsons, your Cam Newtons that are pretty, you know, mobile out there. Lamar Jackson, I should remember that name firsthand, you know, because he dismantled the Bengals last week, but I'm trying to forget that game ever happened. Receiving-wise, well, the Bengals don't get any touchdowns from their wide-receiving core this week. Tate, four catches, 56 yards. Eifer, 21 yards on three catches. Mixon, a catch for 17. Bernard, a catch for 16. Two catches, five yards for Ozuma. Erickson, one catch, zero yards. Boyd, one catch, zero yards. On the other side... Morneau, two catches, eight yards, one touchdown. 82 yards, four catches for Williams. Waller, the tight end on my fantasy football team. 78 yards, five catches, 66 yards, five catches for Renfro. And Z Jones, three catches, 25 yards. Yeah, the score might be close, but everything else is not. And I just have to wonder if Andy Dalton was still out there providing for the Bengals. What would his stats be against the Raiders? Raiders are 6-4, and four, Bengals 0-10, oh and, and Pittsburgh's coming into town for Sunday. Mm-hmm. I don't 
don't really want to think about talking about for episode 125. I don't feel like the Bengals are going to pull the upset here. That's just a hunch. Now, if I'm wrong, I will gladly eat crow on the podcast, meaning I will find a crow at Jungle Gyms, come back, cook it, eat it in front of the podcast, and it'll be the best episode ever. But Raiders 6-4, and four, a better tune than last year with what they finished, like 3-13, and 13, something like that. They beat the Steelers last year. But again, Pittsburgh has won on the West Coast since 1995. It's been a while. But yeah, Bengals lost again. It's uh <laughs> another loss, another week, pretty much. And that's your lot of football. There are other scores, however. As Wright State made history twice. And UD almost brought home the second conference title win. But they fell short, the Flyers men's soccer team did. They fell 1-0 to Rhode Island on a goal that I thought was offside, but it was the winning goal for Rhode Island. They win 1-0, and they will be traveling to Syracuse. Right stay on the other side. Not only did men's soccer win the Horizon League tournament at UIC, the volleyball team wins the regular season title. And as the number one seed, your reward for being the top of the mountain, you get to host the whole kit and caboodle. That's right, the tournament's coming to C.J. McClin Gym on Friday. Starting Friday, two quarterfinal matches, two semifinal matches on Saturday, and the championship Sunday afternoon. Yours truly gets to announce a quarterfinal match, so hopefully you come out to catch some good college volleyball. Yeah, this Raiders team is good. I mentioned it all year. It's too bad it hadn't been mentioned on local radio, but, you know, that's beside the point. Yeah, two titles brought home by Raiders men's soccer, who almost didn't make the tournament in the first place, and Wright State Volleyball, who's, you know, the only blemishes thus far, the road trip to Wisconsin, which is always tough, and the road match at UIC, which the Flames are pretty good. I think they're the third, no, fourth seed. Because it's Milwaukee Green Bay, I think. I'm trying to remember what the order is. Anyway, Wright State's hosting the volleyball tournament. It's very exciting, and I can't wait to be a very small piece of it. But again, come on out. It's at the McLean Gym this Friday at 3. I would talk a little bit about ice hockey starting. We'll talk about that next week. And also college basketball as well. I like hockey time because I broadcast it, and college basketball to me is, uh, I don't know, I mean, I'm into it, I listen to all the games while I'm in the car, you know, if Cincinnati, Xavier, Miami, Dayton's playing, I'll listen to it, right now I have to listen to Wright State on the phone because the FM part in my car is not working, and I'm still angry about it, so there you go. But, yeah, I listen to these games. I follow along and I work uh, officials replay for mainly Dayton women's basketball. Last two men's matches I've been replay. <laughs> Had two plays that need to be reviewed and they were all like the last play of the half. That was great. But uh, I mean college basketball I, I want to announce a college basketball game. And hopefully I get to do that one of these days. So, yeah, and we'll talk about that next week as well. Maybe a little bit tonight during the recording. Again, Tony Peters and Seth Keim of Southwest Ohio Folk Press will be 
on to talk with me about boys basketball. So join me for that. And that will do it for the first half. I should say first part because we have three parts tonight. The second part of the interview, that's coming up right now here on the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. And Mallon's Mailbag will be the third part tonight. Again, all these should be time-stamped. And let's get on with the interview after this quick timeout. Hey, listeners, did you know that you can buy gear supporting the local Sunday Sports Podcast? Visit the LeeWMallon.com slash podcast, then click on Buy Podcast Merchandise made by T Public. You can get shirts, hoodies, mugs, phone cases, and even stickers. Check out the local Sunday sports gear by T Public. Before we begin the boys' basketball preview, which recorded last night and thought it turned out quite well, there is a sale going on at T Public, and this is the pre Black Friday sale from November 20th until the 24th, according to the email I got. All regular shirts are $13, so you're playing short sleeve shirts, 13 bucks, and everything else is up to 35% off. So, if you think that buying gear for the local Sunday Sports Podcast is great, now's the time to do it. There will also be a lot of sales until about Christmas. From the 25th and 27th of the month, there'll be the pre-Thanksgiving sale. The 28th through December 1st is Black Friday sale. December 2nd through the 6th is the Cyber Week sale. December 7th and 14th, the $13 site-wide sale. And the last sale of the year is December 15th through December 18th, appropriately named last sale of the year. You can find this link by going to the leewmallon.com slash podcast, and you can click Buy Podcast Merchandise, and there you go, with the Gem of the Queen's Crown old logo. And now, time for the Boys Basketball Preview. This is Tony Peters and Seth Keim of Southwest Ohio Full Court Press and Lee W. Mowen of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Uh, hanging in there. You know, it's uh week before Thanksgiving. Um, holidays coming up, so staying plenty busy. Yeah, I can't believe Thanksgiving's next week. But basketball season's right around the corner. College is already tipped off. You guys following along with the local hoops yet? So far, we've tried to, you know, watching the Flyers when we can. Loving to see that Dayton and Wright State off the great start so far and hoping they just continue to do that as the year goes on. I certainly uh, I keep a little bit closer eye on, on Ohio State just as a personal bias team. But <laughs> having some local kids in, from, you know, from around the area, getting some playing time in the early season games is always interesting to me. So tonight we are doing a preview of boys basketball in southwest Ohio. And we'll start off with Division One. Uh, Tony, what do you got? Um, well, let's talk about some of the, the better teams to, in the division this year. And I think when you start with Division One, there's really three teams that come to mind. Obviously, the number one is Centerville uh, with the um, amount of talent that they have and the, the star power they have in a guy like Mo Najai. Um, Springfield is definitely the second one. They got a lot of experience back. Some of their better scores are gone, but they're still – enough there and third is Wayne Wayne's really a big question mark because they do have some transfers that came in they got a freshman Laurent Rice that's supposed to be one of the better freshmen in Dayton but it's going to see how they he merges in with some of the returning talent um, what do you think Seth uh, no certainly I, I agree with with your take on Centerville um, 
I'm interested to see to see where where Mo takes his game this year. Um, <clears throat> I know we watched him as, as a sophomore, and he still had a lot of raw ability, um, but he had a lot of those fundamentals that he needed to work on. I think we saw a big jump last year. I'm hoping we see a bigger jump this year. And I'm also interested to see how um, how Cups comes in and plays. Oh yeah. Um, certainly, he brings a lot to the table for that team as a whole. But I think that gives them, you know, a lot more of another threat um, from a scoring perspective that maybe they didn't have in year, you know, in years past, or that that Mo didn't have last year. Mm-hmm. He certainly had experience around him, but that pure scoring threat. Uh, Springfield, like you said, is going to be very interesting uh, as they come back. Um, I'm interested to see where they go. I, I know they lost, a, you know, a, a couple other guys and some size. Um, yeah, and, and Wayne. I know we saw Wayne play a game against Beaver Creek here um, in the state playoffs last year. Um, you know, I kind of put a question mark on Beaver Creek a little bit too, as to as to where they might go this year. Um, some of their younger guys last year were the ones who had the biggest impact in that game, uh, and making it in a you know in a close game with Wayne uh, here at Centerville in the state playoffs. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that Beaver Creek take. A lot of that talent was you know between Yusuf Saleh and Chris Herbert, the the senior seniors. Now they've been varsity guys since they were sophomores in high school. They've been role players. Now can they take that step as seniors? Now you got to be the leaders of this team and with the G Walk or the remnants of the G Walk being with the talent that they're going to have to go up against. I mean. They could do it, but it's going to come down to how those those guys step up and the support they get as well. In terms of the Greater Western Ohio Conference, if you can name a champion team, which one are you picking and what do they need to do to win that crown at the end of the year? Uh, for me, it would be Centerville. I agree with that. Um, and really, it's going to come down to, to that experience level. You know, they, they lost a ton of seniors last year. Um, They've got plenty of talent coming in this year. Um, I, again, I think it's going to be can Mo take that next step? You know, he got a lot of early attention because of his size, um, and, and with Cups being that outside threat and the playmaker that he is, you know, the only question mark I would have from them outside of Mo is that is the defensive aspect from Centerville. Uh, certainly, I think they're going to be a, a potent enough offense, uh, and Mo certainly brings a lot to the table down low. Uh, on defense, but I think it's going to be that perimeter play that that could be their their one focal point to focus on. I agree with everything you said. One thing I will add, though, and we kind of already mentioned it, is the inexperience that Centerville will have. Cups is a freshman. Mo is one of, I believe he's the only returning starter from last year, and they lost seven of their top eight. Mm-hmm. So he's going to have a lot of weight on his shoulders. And even though that talent truly is good, you know, freshmen and sophomores, when you got those yo- that youth with your team, you're going to struggle when you get to tournament time. They could easily win the G-Walk, I think. Come tournament time, they could make a run to the districts, but if you get to regionals, you're going to have defending champion Moeller in the way, Camp Lakota East, who's one of the better defensive teams in the state. Princeton's got a lot of experience back. I just don't know if that youth is going to be able to match that. So if they can get the experience regular season and get themselves ready for postseason run, they'll have a good shot at making a deep one. Seems like they got a good team, and the regular season is going to be can Centerville gel to fight with the big boys of Cincinnati, like your Mullers, your East, and those squads down south. Is there any team you think that can dethrone Centerville? Uh, 
I mean Springfield. There's there's a reason we talked about them as as that threat up here. Um, you know they, they've got a, a number coming back. I know Jalen Minnie had a great season last year, uh, and Larry Stevens is certainly you know those are two guys from from Springfield who are going to have a big impact on them. Um, they showed really really bright flashes last year and played a lot of minutes, um, but they had other guys you know, to be able to take that weight off their shoulder in, in crunch time. Um, so if, if Springfield's going to push them, we need to see, you know, continued uh, excellence for, from those guys at, at Springfield. And like you said, too, at the when you talked about Springfield early on, their lack of height or the height that they did lose, the height that is coming back, again, now you've got to guard a six foot nine Division One prospect like Mona Jai. Are they going to be able to do that? They have a couple guys that are coming back I think could give Mo a, a, a battle, but not anyone that's going to necessarily shut him down. So I think Springfield's experience and athleticism will allow them to uh, get good opportunities on, def- on the defensive end against a young backcourt from Centerville. But, I mean, that's going to have to be an almost perfect game to get by them. We mentioned Centerville, Springfield, Wayne's in the mix too. What about the other G-Walk schools? Is there any – teams that people need to keep their eye on? I think a team to uh, consider, well, two of them. One is Springboro, one's Northmont. Springboro, they've got, you know, last year wasn't a great year for them. A lot of their size is gone. Mm. They got a guard back named William Yates. He's a senior, a stud football player, really great point guard, great vision, great scoring potential. Um, they've got some size back, but again, the size it is back, it's just the experience isn't there. Um, Northmont, I would have I would have said Northmont would be a top five team to me uh, back in August, but then one of their better players transferred to Thurgood, and we'll get into that when we get to Division Two. But Northmont's got some juniors on their roster that are are solid players. They've got again the experience aspect and the talent. If they can just gel together, and they did lose some talent as well, so it's just getting that team to come together and and get through a division, which will include Trotwood as well. Which I know we haven't got to them yet, but I'm sure we will. <laughs> of course, yeah, and and I put. I put a question mark on on Beaver Creek, you know, a, a few minutes back. Um, you know, is that going to be, uh, you know, a full push from Beaver Creek? Time's going to tell with that one. Um, you know, they, they showed some some bright games at the end of the year, uh, especially against a team like Wayne. But I don't know that Beaver Creek's got the size to be able to do it, unfortunately. Um, so in that case, you know, Wayne maybe. But again, they're going to have that same issue of of size. That's what's going to come down to with Centerville is who can be most effective against Mo with a smaller with a smaller lineup or with that size disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Um, if they can find a way to isolate him, that's that's how you're going to beat Centerville here. Mentioned Trotwood, might as well talk about the Rams. They've always got a solid solid program at TM. What's your take on this year's Rams squad, what they can bring to the table? I think they're going to still be a great team. You know, you lose a guy like Amari Davis who does so much for you, uh, a big body like Justin Stevens. Some may look at that and say, well, how are they going to keep it competitive? They are a deep team. They are going. There's going to be question marks about their experience early on, but from seeing them over the summer, seeing some of them in AAU, the guys they got coming through are still going to be great players. Carl Blanton's back, and I know if anyone of us have seen Trotwood play, Carl Blanton, in my opinion, is cl- as close to Amari Davis as you can get with his athleticism and defensive prowess. 
I think Trotwood could still be one of the best teams in the Division Two, but I don't know if they'll be as dominant as they were uh, last year once you get past the district round. Certainly, I think. I mean, the fact that and the style that they played last year forced them to have a very deep roster. Um, I know you talked about Blanton coming back, but Sammy Anderson put in good minutes for them, especially come tournament time. Uh, Carter Mims also uh, certainly uh, bringing back at least some playing time, um, especially down the stretch that they're uh, in the state tournament. Obviously, Trotwood, you know, won the whole thing. Um, so they had about as much experience as anybody can uh, in a single season. Um, but certainly it's it's just going to be that, you know, time's going to tell again with that and, and how effective they're going to be. I, I don't think you're going to see the, the domination like last year, um, but this team's still going to win a lot of games. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's move on south a little bit towards Middletown. Uh, whatever Division One program should people keep their eye on outside the G-Walk? Uh, like I mentioned earlier, Moeller and Cincinnati, they're <laughs> the defending state champs, and, I mean, really – they lost plenty of guys, but when you look at who they've got coming back, Moeller's always been known to not necessarily rebuild, but reload. They got a couple D1 prospects on their roster, led by Logan Duncan. He's a six foot nine center. He's got Big Ten looks from Ohio State, Wisconsin, among other schools. Max Land just committed to St. Francis a couple months ago. He's a lefty, uh, the son of Eugene Land, who was a, I believe his father, uh, Eugene, was basketball at UC, I believe. I'm not 100% sure on that. I'd have to fact check that. Um, but, you know, guys like that, uh, again, Princeton, a lot of seniors, and I'm a big, Seth can vouch for this, I'm a big uh, emphasis on experience, and seniors give you the most experience you're going to get. They have a shot at giving Moeller a run for their money this year. And, again, Lakota East, they're always finding a way to compete. One of the better defensive programs, and defense will win championships for you. Certainly. I think I know you mentioned Princeton's there. I mean, they're returning at least three, three starters from last or three seniors from last year, as well as uh, a kid who's going to be a sophomore this year um, in uh, Bowen Hardman. In, in, yeah. Bowen Hardman. Um, that's going to be a dangerous team. Um, you know, Lakota East, I, I certainly think that they've got, they've got the tools to do it. Um, I know we saw a little bit of Nate Johnson this summer um, at, uh, at the coaches um, showcase over at Capitol, um, and and he really shined in in that game, and he shined in um, in in state tournament down uh, at Xavier too against Moeller. I mean, he was the lone bright spot on that Lakota East team last year uh, that even made that a game against uh, against Moeller. So I think Moeller certainly. I mean, they've gone undefeated two years in a row. They've got more talent than pretty much anyone in the state of Ohio. That's tough to beat no matter who you are. How about elsewhere in the Greater Miami Conference or the Greater Catholic League, wherever you guys want to lead off, what are some other teams that could raise eyebrows? Um, LaSalle, I think, is one. Um, they've got – two pretty good seniors in Jalen Lemons and Derek Eddings. Lemons just committed to Mount Vernon Nazarene a couple of weeks ago. Um, they play that hard-nosed defensive pressure basketball that is the GCL South. They're always going to be a team to watch. I don't know if they necessarily have the depth to, to hang with Moeller, but they're one. Uh, in GMC terms, I'm going to say Mason. Uh, Mason always seems to find a way to 
to to really shine. I felt like last year's team was solid. They lost a lot of those guys. Uh, they returned some some key players. Jack Cooper, a senior uh, power forward's one of them. Will they have enough in the tank to get by a Lakota East and a Princeton? I'm not really sure, but I definitely think um, they're a third place finish in the GMC and talented enough to easily make a little run through sectionals and even a district final appearance at UD Arena if they can get the job done. Uh, I think also, you know, again, another question mark team, um, but having a senior back in, in Trey Thompson is Hamilton. Um, I know they didn't they didn't have as strong of a season last year, um, but they had they had some of those glimpses um of being able to break through. I know Trey has played extraordinarily well over the summer. Um, again, at Capitol for the for the coaches showcase, he was one of the kids who you looked across the gym full of kids, you know, six courts deep, and eyes were being drawn to Trey by the way he was playing. Um, so seeing on, on how he steps into that role, I know he recently signed with NKU, um, so he's staying, he's staying more local. Um, but seeing if some of those other guys on that team, I know Braden Jackson's going to be a, a big part of that in, in just how big that step is. But that could be a question mark team. Maybe not going to push Moeller, but would be another you know top team uh, that's a little farther south. You mentioned some great athletes already, but are there any in Division One that we haven't talked about that you know might be able to you know hoist away an MVP? Or anything like that? I know I don't know about an MVP, but Andre O'Daniel from Fairmont's a guy that Seth and I have been really high on the last year or two. He's going to now have a chance at Fairmont to be the go-to guy. He was a he's a pretty solid two, uh, combo guard. He plays two guard mostly, but being on a team with Kellen Botchenik and Ryan Hall last year, he didn't have a lot of chances to shine. The few games that he did show us his high-scoring abilities, he was impressive. Now with those other those previously mentioned guys gone, it's Andre's show. I think he could easily uh, make a little run for G-Walk Player of the Year. It's going to be tough to beat out Mo, but, I mean, you put up 30 points a game, and I'm not saying Andre will, but he's got that potential. Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, um, uh, you know, we mentioned a couple of them, but I, I certainly, and I know kind of going back to that powerhouse in, in, in Moeller, You've also got Logan Duncan on that roster. Um, you know that's you know he's a kid who's getting high D one looks. You know he was recently up at Wisconsin. They were taking a look at him. Um, he's he's not as bulky as maybe you would want to see for a Big Ten center. Um, so certainly how he developed over the rest of the summer and coming into this year, um, you know he's going to end up being a junior this year. So he's still got a long way to go. Um, but he was extremely effective last year. He's been effective in, in the summer ball that we've seen him play. Um, but in terms of an all-around D1 player from this area, I mean, he'd be another kid to really keep an eye on. Now, we know the teams in the G-Walk have to play each other, but are there any games that people need to circle as must-goes? Centerville Wayne, I'll take that one right off the bat. I'm <laughs> Centerville and Wayne could be O and whatever, and people still need to check out that rivalry. But whatever games, whatever games. Really, I think any of the matchups with, like we had previously dis- discussed, Centerville, Springfield, Wayne, when those any of those two play each other, I think are always going to be games to watch in the G-Walk. I mean, those are 
really, I think, your front runners for the conference title. So those games against one another are really going to be the separating factors between uh, first, second, and third. Yeah, I mean, and then circle some of those that, that end up being rematches from the state playoffs last year. Um, you know, I'm interested to see, you know, if, if Beaver Creek and Wayne have any, any games against each other this year. I'm interested to see how that plays out. Um, that was a game that was a lot closer than a lot of people thought was going to be the case. Um, but both teams kind of have some, you know, Beaver Creek definitely has some more question marks than Wayne. Um, but that would be one that, that I would want to go see. Is there any games that you haven't mentioned that could be dark horse games that you need to go see? Mm, I'd say, uh, again, going back previously, Beaver Creek against, you know, a Springfield or a Wayne or even a Centerville. If they could, you know, like we were talking previously, if they can have a way to defend Mo. It's not in the G-Walk, but, I mean, I think watching a team like Stebbins mm. will be an interesting one. Stebbins, a lot of people aren't very high on, and maybe it's partially because they're no longer in the G-Walk. They got a, a decent amount of guys back from their team last year, so maybe some non-conference games, if they get a G-Walk team, you know, I, I think they could give a run. I'm going to say certainly um, <clears throat> um, they would be. I, I'm interested to also see any of those non-conference games uh, that come from from Butler. I know they've got zero starters returning from last year, um, but they've got a couple guys who played played some key roles last year. Um, that's, I mean, it's going to be a rebuilding year for them, but they certainly have the ability to to jump up and, and bite somebody at some point, uh, especially in those crossover games where, you know, somebody might look past them to a future game to, you know, to the next game uh, later in the week or early in the next week. You know, you just never know. And that's one of those teams that I think can surprise anybody. Any closing thoughts on Division One before we jump to two? One last thing, um, Belmont, uh, they're in the Dayton City League, mm-hmm. but they're one of the few non-G-Walk or non-MVL teams that are in Division One. They've got a kid named excuse me, Sean Phillips, who is a sophomore, 6'9", and the kid has absolutely blown up this summer. Went from a role player as a freshman to arguably one of the top 100 players in the class of 2022 by some scouting services. He's got interest from UD. He's got offers from Auburn. I believe West Virginia has offered him. I know Ohio State has offered him. I mean, he is one of the most freakish athletes, and when you put him up against the Thurgood Marshalls and uh, the Stivers in the Dayton City League, he could have a chance to really make a name for himself and even further add to those growing high-major D1 offers. That'd be pretty big if UD can snag him. Oh, absolutely. That'd <laughs> be huge. Let's talk about Division Two, and we'll start up again. Top teams in D2. Who do we need to see? We already kind of talked about Trotwood, so I don't really think we need to talk much more about them. Um, two other ones, uh, and Seth, I'll let you take one of them, but I'd say Thurgood Marshall is one. Um, other one I would say and I would throw in there would be Alter. Uh, Alter was who I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think we're, we're pretty much on, on a similar mindset with both of those teams. Uh, they both return a vast majority of their rosters. Um you know, talking about Alter with, with Brady Yule, Jack Smith, Connor Stolle coming back. Uh, those were three huge pieces for them last year. Um, I'm interested to see how those guys take their next step forward. Certainly, you know, a lot of people know Brady Yule. They know the Yule name. Um, 
So he's got a little bit, some of those expectations to live up to, but I think he's shouldered those expectations well so far. Um, and, and I want to see during his senior year, I want to see him take that next step, uh, whether it's really dialing it in from outside. Uh, certainly the kid's got the dribble drive ability and is a, and is a defensive menace. Um, but the other kid uh, who we've interviewed uh, on our show um, a couple months back was Connor Stolle. Um He was a kid who, you know, he's got some size to put on, but he brings a lot to the table uh, from not only, you know, a mental perspective. The kid has an incredible head on his shoulders, um, but some of those intangibles, you know, that willingness to dive on the floor after every loose ball, um, what he brings to the table defensively with the height that he has. Um, again, he's got to bulk up a little bit more um, if he's going to be extremely effective, but but certainly those two, Brady Brady and, and Connor, are going to have a huge part to play in Alter's success this season. And going with Thurgood, like you kind of said, they've got a lot of their talent back. I, I think what makes them most unique is their two best players last year were a sophomore and a freshman. So yep. you've got that duo for two more years after, or including this year. Uh, those two guys are the juniors, Anthony McComb. He's a 6'2", kind of wing player for the Cougars. Uh, kind of like what you were saying about Stoli. He's got to put some weight on, but his talent level, he's he's got great, great skills. And he brings a lot of that athleticism to the table that may be helps make up for that lack in, in, in size. Right. Surprisingly, he has no Division One offers, which I've seen several of our uh, colleagues in the media world in uh, high school sports have even expressed their uh, disbelief in that. Uh, the the freshman last year was Makai Elmore. Again, he'll be a sophomore this year. Lefty shooter, uh, able to score from all different levels. He has got a lot of interest from the high-level schools as well. I know he was at UD recently on a visit uh, to watching one of their, their home games. Um, uh, they The Cougars really have a lot of players around them that maybe a lot of people don't know about yet. I know Ronald Smith is one. Chance Amerson had a great freshman year, sat out his sophomore year last year for personal reasons. And you got the transfer profit Johnson right who I well. mentioned earlier he's gonna he's gonna step up really for Thurgood after those five though the big thing is where's where's their bench support come mm-hmm. they've got the athleticism last year they showed us they were one of the few teams in Dayton that could give Trotwood Madison a game now can they take that next step get some depth because that's what Trotwood's going to get them is when it gets to their benches and if McComb and Elmore can continue to develop even more Thurgood easily in my opinion is the favorite in the city league they could even challenge for uh getting to Columbus as well. Yeah, and you mentioned the disbelief that McComb doesn't have D1 offers. Hot take, that, that'll change by the end of this season. I would He's going to have at least, you know, some of those those mid-majors, uh, at least in Ohio, probably surrounding uh, if he doesn't get, you know, one or two teams that, you know, make a stretch for him. Um, that, that will change. <clears throat> Who are some of the schools that could sneakily make a run Chaminade Julianne is always one you got to keep an eye on. Their their big question mark is is how the the new coach Charlie Zavo will make the program if he's going to be able to keep it the same as how Coach Staley had for the many years. I can tell you, uh, playing against Zavo in, in high school, he's got the same mentality. He's got the same work ethic as Staley. He expects the same from his players. And I saw them play over the summer, and they look like they haven't lost a beat. I wouldn't be surprised if they could give Alter a challenge. That game's always a great game. I wouldn't be surprised if it happens again. Um, another one would be Tippecanoe. I know there's some people that disagree with me on that because of the record they had last year. Well, 
record is just a number, in my opinion. You look at the talent they've got back going into this season with a depleted Miami Valley League tips, I think, easily one of the best teams in that league. Uh, will that reflect to success in Division Two? That's going to be a, a big question mark. And with them being in a sectional with Trotwood, they're, I don't think they're anywhere as close to Trotwood's talent level. But they could they could sneak up uh, come sectional draw. They'll probably go opposite of the Rams and could get out if, if they play some of these other CBC teams. Yeah, talking more, uh, you know, south as to who's going to get some of these teams later uh, in, in the state playoffs potentially. Um, with, with Paul McMillan going over to Woodward, mm-hmm. I think they're a team uh, coming from from farther south. You know, they're not going to run in to Thurgood or Trotwood um, or Alter early on uh, in the tournament. Um, and where their draw falls is going to obviously is going to depend largely on their regular season. Um, I don't, I'm not as familiar with Woodward's regular season schedule, but I would definitely say that they've got um, they've got the chance to sneak up um, and have a really good season as well. Just to show you how explosive of a player and how great of a player Paul McMillan is, Woodward was three and twenty last year. They added Wood or they added McMillan with a few other transfers, and all of a sudden we've got people talking about exactly what we're saying that they could be one of the best teams in Cincinnati. So that tells you how good of a player they're getting in McMillan. I mean, and, and he's coming in to replace McBride, who was their leading scorer the year before. Um, you know, so McBride's gone. You bring in arguably the top player uh, in that area, and you have you know Aaron Davis and Davion Mace. That's going to be a really competitive trio that's going to give a lot of people a lot of tough games this year. Sounds like an interesting C-Mac season. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Who do you think will rattle Woodward in the C-Mac? Between Aiken and Taft, I know Taft is Division Three, so we'll get to them when we get to D3. Uh, With Aiken being the D2 team, they're a little young, I think, still, but they're, they're guards of Jakarta Stone and Robbie Cass, who are juniors and sophomores, respectively. Great, great players. I mean, we saw Aiken really night and day difference when they played Alter per half, down double digits in the first half against Alter last year, coming back and blowing them out of the water. Yeah. If they can do that consistently, I think they'll have a good chance at, at running with Woodward. Well, and they're one of those teams that are returning a lot of players. They've got five of their top seven back. So those those kids who were there at the end of the year that, that made that run, uh, that, that completely flipped that game on Alter, are, are going to be there and they're going to be a, you know another year of experience under their belt, another summer under their belt. Uh, I'm interested in, in Aiken a lot. How about some more D2 athletes that could make the headlines? Oh, um, you know, a couple kids to, to keep an eye, eye out for. Uh, maybe not on you know a, a team that's going to make a lot of noise this year, um, but one uh, from Northridge, Daryl Story. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that he's got a, a lot of of talk out there about him, um, and certainly that was you know what was out there was bolstered by Northridge's incredible run that they made, you know, uh, sort of a Cinderella type team. And I know Tuan Hines is gone, but Story had a lot to do with that run. Uh, when, when Tuan wasn't hitting or was in foul trouble, uh, Story had the size in terms of height and athleticism um, to give a lot of people trouble, um, and he's certainly a kid that, that leaves everything on the floor as well. Um, he, he would be a kid to keep an eye out for. I'm inter- interested to see him take that step forward again. Uh, I know I've said that a lot with a lot of kids this year, but um, depending on how big that step is, you know, he's certainly uh, you know a single player to keep an eye out for. 
Lee, I'm going to give you three names. <laughs> give, a- give them. A.J. Braun from Fenwick. Yeah. Uh, last year, he kind of was in more of a complimentary role with C.J. Napier being on the roster. Napier's now at Ohio Northern, so it's A.J. Braun's show. And with Fenwick losing as much talent as they did, it's really going to be on Braun's shoulders to lead that Falcon team on both ends of the floor. The GCL North is kind of different this year, whereas I think all four teams really do have a true post player. Alter's got Stoley, CJ, um, I, Larry Turner. I don't think he's a true post, but he get he gives him some size. Um, Morrow, he, I, I am not going to try to pronounce his last name from Carroll, six uh, nine junior, and then Braun. I think that's going to be uh, uh, fun to watch Braun with those those battles. I'm going to throw out one before you beat me to it because. Uh, I know you're going to say it, Darren Rubin, yep. Oakwood. Um, you can't talk D2 in this area without bringing up Darren's name. Uh, the kid has everything um, for his position. Um, obviously, being a guard, he doesn't have a lot of that elite size, but what he lacks in size, he makes up for in pure talent. I mean, the kid, there's not a spot on the court that he can't score from. Uh, he can pull up from as far as he wants. He can beat people off the dribble um, and, and can finish with both hands around the rim. Incredible athlete. Uh, I would I would tag him for an early player of the year candidate. Me too. I'll let you have that one. <laughs> um, my last my last one is Tyler Eberhart from Kenton Ridge. He is a University of Charleston Division two signee. Uh, Eberhart, we saw him when they played Northridge. If you watch that game, it wasn't his best game, but watching him, I've seen him play since he was a freshman at the AAU and summer league level. He's got a lot of size. He's one of the bigger players in the CBC. He's coming back with a Kenton Ridge team that brings back several of their key players from last year. And Everhart, with his size, he's able to play inside out. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes him such a dangerous player is he can beat you off the dribble. He's not afraid to pull up and hit the shot from free throw line extended. Defensively, he's got the length. He's one of the better rebounders in the conference. He in my opinion, is one of the best players, if not the best player, in the CBC this year. I think the other one would be Trey Woodyard from London, but that's more of a Central Ohio location. But Everhart, definitely one of the better players for sure. Yeah, and I know we watched him at, at again, we bring up a lot of that, that showcase at Capitol. He was up against a lot of competition that, that he hadn't seen throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly that, that showcase was was jam-packed full of a lot of, of Division One schools and talent, but kids who are getting looks at, at the D1 level. Um, you know, he committed to, to Charleston D2, but, uh, you know, I, I'd be interested to see by the end of the year, uh, you know, I think a lot of mid-major teams, you know, will eventually be scratching their heads as to, as to why they didn't pick up on him earlier. Give me some games in D2 that are must-watch. <laughs> uh, very easily, Trotwood and Thurgood. Anytime they square off, obviously it'd be a non-conference game, but that's going to be that's going to be one of the games. You know, even if they don't match up until uh, playoff time, you're going to be hard pressed to find a seat in that gym uh, to see that one. I'm going to say um, CJ Alter. Not really, not really much to, to say there. We've kind of already discussed the, the, the talent on those teams and the, the level of uh, skill they have. Another one that a lot of people maybe don't talk about, I'd like Monroe against Oakwood. Mm. I think those two are two of the better teams in the uh, Swibble Southwestern Division. Swibble. Swibble. <laughs> I always heard Swabble. Swabble. 
<laughs> That's how we used to call it back at Carroll when uh, I used to play back in the day. Um, <laughs> Monroe had a lot of success near the middle of the year last year and was one of the hotter teams, and I think they're going to continue to, to ride that, that wave into this season. Again, Oakwood, we talked about Darren Rubin. With Rubin's presence, Oakwood is definitely one of the better teams. I think it's going to come down to those two and Franklin uh, for the best team in that division. Yeah. Franklin's more Division One, and they're a good team. We just don't talk about them because they're Division One, and when they go up against the G-Walk teams, with the teams they've played regular season, they're just not ready for those teams. Yeah, just, they just lack of, enough of that firepower and size, Yeah, unfortunately. But Monroe, o- <laughs> uh, yeah, Monroe Oakwood definitely. Um, Thurgood opponents, uh, two good D2 teams there. Opponents is... I think they they could be a dark horse, and I know we'll, we might get there in a minute, but uh, they could always give Thurgood a game. They always find a way to be competitive. Um, and anytime you go to a City League game, I love going to City League games just because the crowds get so into the game, and it really makes it – it almost feels like a college atmosphere crowds. At times, yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's hard to elaborate on – I mean, a lot of it we talked about already. I mean, certainly uh, Oakwood, Franklin's going to be a game to watch, I know. Franklin being in D1, like you said. Um, we were there last year when they faced off right at the beginning of the season. Fantastic game. Yes. Uh, Darren played extraordinarily well. Franklin had a number of kids who were knocking down shots like we couldn't believe. Um, in um, Just in that game. Um, and ultimately, Franklin won that game against Oakwood. But um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they square off this year, you know, I would be surprised if Oakwood doesn't win that one. Shall we move on to Division Three? Let's do it. Before we get into the top teams of D3, this is the last year of the Cross County Conference. Most of the conference is shifting over to the Western Ohio Athletic Conference, something that I talk about on my podcast from time to time. But D3, who looks to rule the third division? I got four teams that I've circled from uh, the summer. Um, I'll just briefly go through them. Anna, they lost their uh, top guy in Griffin Dosek, but they bring back for their top five. Uh, they made it to the regional finals last year before they ran into Purcell Marion, who was without a doubt the top team in Division Three last year. Uh, in the Shelby County Athletic League, Anna's definitely going to be one of the top teams. I don't know if they have it in them to get past the Jackson Center. And when we get to D4, I'll, I'll talk more about them. Uh, Anna, but being them, one of the few D3 teams from the, the uh, SCAL, um, they're going to be one to watch. Uh, Middletown Madison, They every year I talk about Madison being one of the best teams, and they do so good in the regular season until they get to the postseason. And they just cannot seem to get it done come postseason. This year I think they're finally going to take that step. Grant Wisman's a 6'6", 6'7", senior, signed with Cedarville. Great player inside out. I think he's going to put this team on his shoulders and finally get the Mohawks, not just a swivel title, but a nice little run in the tournament too. Um, Stivers at Dayton City League. Uh, Trayvon Ellis, great point guard. He's got a lot of great players around him. Um, in D3 terms, I think they're going to be just fine. City League. I think it's going to be them and Thurgood fighting for a title. Uh, and then my last one is Versailles out of the MAC. Really, I say that because the MAC is depleted so much this year, and Versailles is really the only one that brings back enough talent. And well, uh, I'm surprised you've waited this long to mention Taft. <laughs> them dropping down from from D2 into D3 this year, 
I think is a big old question mark. Uh, once that happened, I mean, Mark Wise came over from Deer Park. They've got Nakai Smith back. Um, Leroy Walker coming from, from Winton Woods. Uh, not to mention they've got freshman Rayvon Griffith. Holy cow. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if there's a team in D3 in the area that's going to be able to compete with Taft for a full game. I can answer that for you. On paper, there's not. There's not. On paper, there's not. They should be, I mean, it should be similar to what we saw from Trotwood last year. Trotwood ran the table with darn near everyone. Uh, there were a couple teams that gave them really good games up until halftime, which was uh, was at least a statement to make against that Trotwood team last year. That's that's Taft this year. Yeah. Um, I think they're going to beat a lot of the, the D2 teams that they're going to run up against in the CMAC. There's not – these guys should – I mean, they might lose one or two here or there when they just have an off night from a couple of guys. Um, I, the only question I would put on Taft is how does that talent gel? It's a lot of guys who haven't played together before. It's a lot of guys who are used to being Superman on their respective teams. You know, you've got – Two big-time transfers and two kids, you know, one returning, one being the freshman stepping in. Holy cow. There's not a whole lot more to say than that. Going back to Middletown, Madison, I think I was there at uh, Vandalia Butler for that playoff game they lost. trying to remember who they even played. But, yeah, that was a a tough loss. And the Mohawks, you know what I'm talking about, Tony? I I I feel like they lost a national trail. They did. They fell a national yeah. trail in the sectionals, uh, 52-38. I saw them win that game then because National Trail Arcanum was right afterwards. Correct. And National Trail had a heck of a third quarter against Arcanum. What we think about the cross-county conference? I think it's definitely depleted. Um, Ethan Conley going away was probably – I think Conley was – really the, the guy um, and really made that conference known. Um, we mentioned National Trail. They're probably the best team out of that conference, I think, I this year. Bethel always finds a way to compete. Wouldn't be surprised if, if they give um, some some challenges this year. And obviously teams like Tri-County North and Twin Valley South, I know those guys both lost some decent amount of talent. So will this year be a rebuilding year or – Will they find a way to sneak in there? I'm not sure, but I'd say National Trail, Bethel are, are one, two off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, National Trail, Zach Woodall, uh, and Cameron Harrison, They, I mean, those two guys should be able to lead National Trail through. Uh, I would expect them to be the CCC champion. Um, but, you know, there's always, there's always those question mark games. Um, yeah. Let me quickly throw in as well because I know he'll get mad if I don't mention his team, Carter Gray and Arcanum. I still Correct. think they're – I do want to say them as well. Uh, <laughs> Carter Gray is a great young fantastic man player. and a fantastic player too. Um, I'm not saying he – I'm not comparing him directly to Ethan Conley, but what I, I do think is Gray is uh, going to be the, the, the name as Conley was last year in the conference. We just need him to stay healthy. Exactly. Uh, I, w- I want to see a, a healthy Carter Gray through a full season. Yeah. Um, because I think he could put up some staggering numbers that, that a lot of people have been waiting for, and, and injuries have just hindered that. Um, 
And so, Carter, get healthy. We want to see it. <laughs> and you guys uh, interviewed Carter Gray Correct. on your podcast as well. That was yep. really cool because yep. it's always – Carter Gray's always been one player I always love, you know, watching play when I'm broadcasting with WTGR up north in Dark County. So, whenever I see Arkham, I'm like, hey, I hope to see him play. <laughs> so, any dark horses in D3 that could uh, make some noise? Not really many off the top of my head. Um, what do you got, Seth? Dark Horse, Deer Park, maybe. Um, I, I know I know they're losing Mark Wise, um, but Steve Gentry Jr., I think, uh, has a chance uh, to help that team really make some noise um, into Sean uh, McIntyre. Um, you know, they, they could push. Um, a little bit, certainly, certainly in the CHL, they're going to make some noise. Um, but outside of there, I'm not sure. Uh, it might take you know a, a team having an off night for them to be able to, to step step up and bite somebody. Uh, but they certainly have uh, some of the experience and, and talent to to make some noise again. Dark horse team, but I could see it. Give me some D3 games that we all need to watch. <laughs> Taft versus anyone in the C-Mac. Yep, every single that's, one of those games. That's uh, that's a lot of teams in the C-Mac, so you got your <laughs> fair share of Senators versus whoever. Correct, correct. And, and any of those, again, with, with Taft having so many of those transfer guys, you know, uh, Taft, Deer Park, Deer Park certainly going to, you know, if, if they have a non-conference game, <laughs> that that would be really interesting, uh, or if Deer Park ends up making the playoffs um, and they face off, you know, Deer Park's going to have a little bit to play for, maybe a little spite that that Mark Wise decided to jump ship, but um, we'll see. <laughs> outside of Taft, um, you know, there's a lot of those uh, Anna and Arcanum if they if they square off at all, um, I think that has a potential to be a really good game. What about you, Tony? I think you really hit all of them, on, in all honesty. Um, I think Brookville uh, playing some of the, the teams we mentioned out of D2. Yeah. They lost a lot of guys from last year, but some of the talent that is coming back, they could still be a, a team that can challenge. I love Manny Willis's game. He's there. I believe he's a senior. He's got a lot of, bou- a lot of bounce for a Southwestern Buckeye League player. Uh, he threw down a dunk. I went up and watched them uh, in the Franklin Monroe's Holiday Tournament, and he threw down a dunk. And you can tell that you don't see a lot of dunks in Southwestern Buckeye League games because that gym went crazy. Yeah, I also, you know, I don't know. We we haven't really we haven't mentioned uh, Versailles a lot or Versailles a lot. Um, <laughs> I, I can never say that that school correctly. The Tigers. We'll go with that. <laughs> uh, you know, they surprised a lot of people last year with the run that they made, but. You know, up north they they play a lot of tough teams throughout the season. Uh, you know, from D two those those more experienced D three teams, um, and they return. You know, they return three seniors uh, with, with Michael Stammen, Ryan Martin, and Austin Toner. They're going to be tough to compete with. Um, they play a version of basketball that is slow and steady and that can bleed some teams who are used to the run-and-gun style dry um, because they can't just get out on the break. Um, you know, they've got a little bit of size, um, but defensively, I think, is where they, they make their their mark. Um, and they're a team that can compete with just about anybody on a, on a given night. Going back to Taft, uh, I think the big C-Mac one's got to be Taft-Woodward because we already mentioned well, the Bulldogs. Correct. so. And I'm pretty sure Woodward's C-Mac. They are. I, yep. I don't know yep. where else they'd be, but 
There you go. <laughs> How about Division 4? So with Division 4, I think when you look at uh, Dayton, there's really not a in, – in the Day- greater Dayton area, there's not a ton of high-level Division 4 teams. Um, Jackson Center, they're not necessarily Dayton, I guess, but I think they're the top team. Aiden Riker is a six foot four lefty. Uh, he plays small forward. He can play power forward. He can play guard. He's one of the most versatile players I've seen that comes out of the Shelby County League. Um, he's definitely, in my opinion, one of the best players, not just in that league, but in Division Four as a whole. Um, really, in my opinion, the team that is the without it the best is you got to go to Cincinnati, and that's Cincinnati Christian. They've got a lot of talent back. I think they only lost. They lost one starter from last year. The guys that are back, the the guards, K.J. Swain and Logan Woods, are. I know uh, uh, Woods has some D1 schools that have reached out. They're going to, in my opinion, run through Division Four. And, you know, if Legacy Christian would have kept some of their kids that were non-seniors, they probably would have been on that list. But Mike Sharavjimps, their um, 6'7", freshman last year from i believe he was from mongolia is now at prolific prep in california roman newsome their point guard is now at carlisle so i think it's cincinnati christians to lose but in terms of dayton teams jackson center is definitely your top one yeah and other teams that you know that, that could make that step forward um i, I know cedarville's got a team that could potentially compete this yep. year you know returning three of their top four um and certainly with probably you know, in the in the OHC, Colby Cross, yep. um, he's got everything that it moving along with Trent uh, Conning. Uh, those two are going to be a really dangerous duo. I, just how much they're able to push some of those teams uh, again, Jackson Center. You know, yeah, they're a little more north, but that's going to be tough. Part, you know, of the area. I had someone, you know, jokingly kid that that's the, the area. So, uh, yeah. I'm from Northwest Ohio. So <laughs> Northwest Ohio doesn't start until you get at least to Lima. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I never agreed where that line is. It should be. It's blurred. North, Northwest should start outside the Miami Valley. Yeah, but yeah I, w- I would agree. Yeah. Let's not get into that. <laughs> uh, some other D4 athletes. Uh, I know mentioned a bunch of teams, but is there any of them that – my pop up. I mean, we mentioned Colby Cross already. He's he's one of the best in D four. Um, I'm interested to see what we see out of Nick Brandewee from Fort Loramie this year. Um, I know they lost a, a couple seniors. Fort Loramie as a full team might not be as dangerous as they were last year, um, but they seem to be a contender year in and year out. Um, and, and Nick Brandewee will be will be the one to lead that team this year. Um, I'd keep an eye on him. He's He's got a really good game and, and certainly plays tough. You took my one I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I took your ace in the pocket. Huh? <laughs> um, I would say if I had to pick a name, I'm going to go with uh, Emmanuel Christians, uh, Fred Shropshire. He is a senior. Um, he's been on that roster since a fr- his freshman year. He's really kind of built his way up uh that emmanuel christian team two years ago had a losing record and made a run to the district finals in d4 last year they had a really solid year this year i think is the year they finally make that push uh through the metro buckeye conference to the top 
Fred is definitely going to be a name to watch just because he'll bring that leadership and uh, talent out of the backcourt. Um, Fort Loramie has a, two freshmen, even Ethan Kaiser and Caleb Maurer. I think they're both guys to watch. I don't know if they're necessarily at like the level yet of being you know MVP-style players in the Shelby County League, but saw both of them in the summer. looked really good for freshmen. Uh, being part of a Fort Loramie team, you put them with Nick Brandyway like you stole from me. Um, <laughs> they're going to be a, a solid group as well. Yeah, and I mean, probably, and and still, we talked about him before, but number probably number one down in D four, Aiden Riker, without a uh, doubt, without a doubt, yeah, yeah, yeah. About some D four games that we have to see: Fort Loramie Jackson Center. Yep, right off the hands bat, hands down. I got to jump that in there. There, uh, though, some of those other games, uh, I, I'm interested to see some of Cedarville's games. Uh, I don't know; I haven't seen their schedule yet. Um, but depending on their non-conference schedule, if they get matched up with some of these other teams that we've mentioned um, or, or some of the D3 schools potentially, I think those could be really interesting games to watch. I think another one real quick, uh, and Seth, you, I, I know you were real high on them last year in the tournament, New Miami, If when they play some of their uh, non-conference games. They were – they were really like a Cinderella of Division Four last year, making a run to the district finals and giving they a really were. very and giving a very good Springfield Catholic Central team last year everything they had at UD Arena before the Irish just kind of overcame them. But I know Seth and I talked about last year a couple times just how young they were and with that talent coming back, what they were going to be like this year. And I think once they come to tournament, especially when they get to the sectional district round, playing some of the better teams. I think they'll try to avoid Cincinnati Christian, but if they get a game with Cincinnati Christian, that's going to be a heck of a matchup. Yeah, Jordan and Trey Robinette were the were the two guys who really jumped off the court for me last year. Um, they just found a way to make plays. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that that Springfield Christian uh, team uh, is going to be to Springfield Cent- Catholic Central team. I'm sorry, had about as much experience as you could possibly get. Uh, on a team. I mean, they started five seniors, but that new Miami team was one that, that we hadn't paid a lot of attention to before, um, but certainly with the players that they have returning, uh, the Robinette, uh, Jordan, and Trey, watch out. They, 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 could, they could make some noise that people aren't expecting. Yep. For my last question, we'll keep it quick. <laughs> Throughout the four divisions, do you see anyone from Cincinnati to Dayton being state champs? Um, Taft definitely a Division three. I think that's a, a pretty obvious one. Um, I, you know, I, I've got a state champ. I mean, Muller for D one has got to be probably the state favorite. I would think, um, just because of who they are, the, the players that they've got, you know, their pedigree. That that's you know that's got to be a given. I, I D two. I don't. I don't know. If there's as much of a team, I, I don't know. I'm interested to see what Trotwood has. Um, if they're going to make a run to potentially be able to do it, uh, or if Thurgood's going to step up to the point where they could make a run. Again, both of those teams are going to have some depth questions. Um, yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> <laughs> Last thing, how do you get to your podcast, and how can people follow you? Uh, so you guys can find us mainly on Twitter. Uh, at SWOFCP. Um, we've also, we're, we're working on our, our Weebly website that we've got going. Um, as we start getting that up and going, we're, we'll be promoting that more and more. 
Um, but that is swofullcourtpress.weebly.com. Um, we're going to start doing some more uh, players of the month, uh, things of that nature, games of the week. Uh, so keep an eye out for those. Those will be the games uh, that Tony and I make a point to go to every week that we'll call out ahead of time. Uh, the other games are just going to be on um, on sort of a schedule-by-schedule basis as to you know how Tony and I's lives work out. Um, and then on uh, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor, or, and Anchor uh, certainly for the podcast. Gentlemen, thanks for giving me your time tonight, and we got ourselves high school basketball soon. I can't wait. I know we start teasing a little bit of it with the college season starting early. I mean, you start really looking forward to it, but I'm excited for this year because I think uh, more than ever, I think every division uh, is a little more anybody's game this year uh, than in years past. I think in years past, there's been some teams that – you could almost just slot them in, but I'm, I'm looking forward to this year a lot. I am too, and uh, you know it's it's going to be an exciting time of year. And I, I know I speak for for Seth and myself that we're excited for the year. And, and Lee, we we thank you for having us on. We definitely enjoyed it. Yes, it's been yes, a lot indeed. of fun. Um, well, tag team up uh, during the season, I'm sure. So that sounds great. Look forward to it. All right, that's been your boys' basketball preview for 2019-2020 here. Part 3 of episode 124. I don't believe I've ever had a part 3 of a podcast ever, but it's a special time and I'll let the special theme song tell you what time it is. It's time for Mowen's Mailbag, the segment where you can ask questions and interact with the podcast. Send in your future questions on Twitter at Pod or the Lee W. Mowen. On the Facebook page, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, or through the Flick Chat app by searching the local Sunday Sports Group. Theme music is from Music Radio Creative at musicradiocreative.com. I'd like to thank Matt Morris for these three questions, and also apologize for getting to them now, because actually Matt asked me these questions Last week, before episode 123 was recorded, and I didn't get to them because I didn't realize they were in my uh, DMs on my podcast account. So, I'm sorry about that. But I like these three questions, and we'll get to them for the third part of episode 124. Hope you enjoyed the episode thus far. Matt has three questions. You can add your questions at any time. and. You can DM me a message at Pod or the Lee W. Mallon. I promise I'll get to them quicker than these three that I did. Again, sorry about that. Facebook, email, text me if you have my number. You know, be a part of the podcast. And I'll answer these questions when I get them. So the first question, what are the chances we can see either a pro hockey or pro soccer team come back to Dayton in the near future? For my definition, in the near future, we'll go five years, immediate future, we'll say this time 2020. Not to sound like a smart aleck, but in order for a pro hockey or pro soccer team to come to Dayton, you're going to need the right facilities. For hockey, I'd say 3,000, 4,000 seater, 
will be nice. If you're trying to get ECHL back, I mean, you probably want something upwards of 6000 but you want something that it's not going to be, you know, a daunting task for someone to foot the bill of building an arena or soccer pitch. We don't have a shortage of soccer pitches around here. But the problem is, all these soccer pitches are either recreational or part of a high school. And if you want to have a pro soccer team, let's say higher than USL League 2, then you're going to want something where it doesn't have high school marks on it. You want your own pitch type of thing. You want to be able to control what you sell concession-wise, alcohol-wise, Parking and everything like that. I mean, when you have leases with high school areas, sometimes that's part of the concessions you make to have a team there. But the immediate future, one year, I don't see it happening. In five years, there's a lot of things that could happen. You know, maybe there is the arena that is built up. Maybe there's a new soccer pitch. I think it's still on Google. You can search for the plans that the Dayton Dutch Lions had to build a multi-pitch uh, facility. They wanted to build it on 675 and Yankee Road in the northeast corner, which that's a pretty nice spot, pretty big ramp, lots of traffic there. It's going to be pretty tough to miss it, but it never went through, and it's still woods. As far as I know. The second question kind of taps into what I was mentioning about an arena. Oh, actually, before we get to that, in five years, it it really depends if there's an arena or field built for anything like that. But we'll see. Second question is, why is there such an opposition to building a new facility or team somewhere outside the urban core? Which I'm guessing that means outside downtown. As long as there's something to do around the stadium is all that should matter. And I agree with that last statement. I thought about this one, and the first answer that rang in my head, taxes. I mean, it's going to cost a lot to build, and if the public have to chip in on that, that's taxes. I mean, look at Cincinnati. They're still going to be chipping in on Paul Brown Stadium until... Actually, I think that ends in about five or six years, right? Something like that. But yeah, Hamilton County's on the hook for that for quite some time. Whereas, you know, do people really want to be a part of that? So that's my first part of the answer is taxes. Second part, in Dayton, where are you going to build? A lot of the tech town space is taken up, so... Pretty much a pro soccer team, unless you knock some things around. You know, there's not really any room out there, and that's probably the best spot for it, near Fifth Third Field. So, taxes, location. I agree. I mean, as long as you can build an environment around that's not too terribly far away, I think sports would work, but, you know, that's just me. Third question is the one I thought I'd be talking about for 30 minutes. The question is, why is there the underlying bias against being a fan of minor league sports? For example, whenever you say you're a fan of a certain team, the immediate response is, cool, who's your top-level team you root for them? 
Why can't I just be a fan of my local team without having to root for the bigger team up or down the road? Normally, I get this question when people ask me who my college teams are, and everyone's so shocked that I don't pick Ohio State. Sorry, I don't have any connection to Ohio State. My dad's a graduate of Ohio State, and he's not a crazy Buckeye fan. So, it's one of the reasons why I love my dad. The other big reason is he's my dad. But, I don't know. I don't know, and I don't understand the bias. For me on this podcast, it's always been talking about Cincinnati and Dayton sports. I've never once said, you have to become a fan of this team. I've recommended that you check the teams out, but I've never said, in order to keep listening to this podcast, you, know, you have to be fans of these teams. Which would hurt me, because uh, listener stats, you know, for me, aren't the greatest. But there you go. I don't know why there's such a bias. If we're sticking with minor league sports, the biggest minor league field would be baseball. Because really, you don't have minor league football. And I'm not counting arena or indoor football and that. It's a different beast of football. Indoor you, indoor and arena, you have eight on eight inside, fields cut in half. Really, most of the offense you see is passing unless you have a runner that's, you know, a tank, hard to take down. Whereas outdoor, you know, mix it up, 11 on 11, no walls to bounce off of. So, yeah, for baseball, take, for instance, the Dayton Dragons. They do quite well at the box office. They have the attendance record for selling out every single home game ever since moving from Rockford, Illinois to Dayton, Ohio in 2000. That's awesome. They do a lot. The Dragons do a lot for families. It's a cheap ticket. There's good food around, and it's not going to cost you an arm and leg. Parking's not terribly bad either. Whereas Cincinnati, it's a higher price ticket, but it's the majors. These are the pros. I can understand fans that root for their minor league team. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe you weren't raised as a Reds fan. I get that. And you like the team in town because they do nice things in town. I'm cool with that. And I don't know why there's such a bias. I, when I talk to people I work with during baseball season, I ask them if they follow the Dragons as well. Most people don't. Most people just follow the Reds, which I get, again, major league team compared to minor league team. But for me, I, I follow both because I like both the teams, and I like to see some of the Dragons turn into Reds. Not all of them will, which I understand. Some will have their dreams fizzle out in minor leagues. Some will go to the pros. Some will go to the pros with other teams via trade, free agency, what have you. I understand that. I mean, what's to say that that's so bad? You're rooting for your local team, but you don't have any affiliation with the big major league team. I get that. I get that entirely, and I don't have a good answer for that. Going to college sports, I mean... I don't understand why, you know, you live in Ohio, you have to root for Ohio State. I never understood that. And I think that's part of the reason why, you know, I'm not a Buckeye fan. Don't tell me who to root for. I don't tell you who to root for. Don't tell me who to root for. Okay? Got it. I never understood that. 
and <laughs> you know, local media spends most of the time talking Buckeyes football. So, you know, that's fine, I guess, even though it's not local. It's an hour east of Dayton, but yeah. For me in this podcast, it's always been sharing the achievements and what's happening with local sports from Dayton to Cincinnati. Sometimes pro sports in Columbus, I know. I'm a hypocrite for doing that, but Blue Jackets only NHL team in the area. Crew were the only MLS team in until last year. And then FC Cincinnati laid an egg during their first MLS season. Hopefully the year's better. I'm hoping. And, you know, I don't feel any shame about, about that. So, you know, I like to see Southwest Ohio succeed. That's the area I grew up in, and it's, you know, teams I've followed all this time, so. I don't know why. I don't have a good answer for that. If anyone feels like they do have a good answer, you know, reply to this post or tweet or what have you, or just yell at me and it's like, you're not a Buckeye fan. You can't live in Ohio. La 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 la. And they'll just block you and it's like, oh, that was cool. So, yeah. And I know I jumped the ship by talking college sports when we're talking about minor leagues. Minor league sports, football and basketball. Eh. Closest minor league basketball teams in Fort Wayne with the Mad Ants. I mean, heck, it's pretty rare when I actually can sit down and listen to the Indiana Pacers games on my phone. Thank you, free app. Thank you, I appreciate that. I don't have a good answer to that. It's a very, very solid question. I mean, maybe you grew up with one pro team, saying the Yankees, they're pretty popular. And maybe you grew up in Dayton. It's like, hey, Dragons, they're in my town. So I get that. I totally get that. Again, this podcast is never to tell you you need to root for this team. It's always been you should celebrate this team, but... Yeah, it's up to you. You're a big person. You're listening to podcasts. So there you go. And that will close up Mowen's Mailbag in episode 124. A three-episode. First time ever on this podcast, so this is the first time for everything. Thank you to Tony Kime of Southwest Ohio Full Court Press for teaming up and bringing the boys' basketball preview. Should be a very exciting season. Uh, Score-wise, in terms of sharing what happens, normally basketball season, there's a lot of scores. And for college basketball, which I'm going to try to do this year, there are a lot of teams from Thomas Moore <laughs> to uh, Hacking Cough with phlegm in my chest. No, that's not a college. I guess Essen State would be the last point up north, technically. But, yeah, there's a lot of scores. So, if I get to it, that's great. If not, I'm sorry. I'm letting you know that is a ton of scores. So, hopefully, we'll get to rolling around that. Although, it's a great start to college basketball hoops. We're talking just the two D1 schools in Dayton. Wright State now 4-1. and Dayton 3-0 and before heading to Maui. And they got the Georgia Bulldogs. The Flyers do. Raiders just took care of Urbana last night. By a pretty good margin. Yes, a D2 foe. But Raiders held their own and scored 88 points. Which apparently they have this uh, this marketing 
deal where if the Raiders score more in 85 in a game, then it's free pizza. I think it's rapid fired, which it's one of those places where you get pizza in three minutes because they cook it at a ridiculously high temperature, like 1800 degrees or something like that. I know what crazy world we would live in, but that's pretty cool. Episode 125. What are we talking about? We're talking about the start of ice hockey season. That's tomorrow. Send us at Alter and I'll have the call of that. Tell you about the Horizon League Volleyball Tournament held at Wright State. Again, I get to announce one of the two quarterfinal matches tomorrow. We'll tell you about that. Tell you about Wright State's men's soccer dance against Notre Dame in South Bend. And we'll tell you about Dayton Flyers volleyball team. They got the second seed. They did lose at home to VCU in five to drop the regular season title, but that's a good Flyers squad. They should be able to make some noise in the A-10 tourney. We'll talk more about local Cincinnati and Dayton sports. That's what we do here on the Cincinnati and Dayton sports podcast. Until next time, this is Lee W. Mallon signing off for episode 124. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. To subscribe to the podcast, please visit the leewmowen.com slash podcast. From there, you can choose your favorite platform, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and many more. Interact with the podcast and host on Twitter at the Lee W. Mowen. And at Sunday Pod. Like the Facebook page, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, and download the free Flick Chat app. Then search for the local Sunday Sports Group to submit your future Mowen's Mailbag questions. The closing theme is Lights Go Down by Dan Hennig, provided by the YouTube Music Library Collection. This is Lee W. Mowen, and I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please join me again next week on the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast.